Section 89 of Greece and Rome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The World's Story, Volume 4, Greece and Rome, edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 89, Rome Pays Ransom to Alaric the Goth, 409 A.D., by Wilkie Collins. At the beginning of the 5th century, the Roman Empire had become so weak that it was overrun by swarms of barbarians. Prominent among these was Alaric the Goth, who sacked and burned the city. The following scene is supposed to have taken place while he was encamped in Etruria just before his capture of Rome. The Editor The embassy had already exhausted its power of intercession, apparently without moving the leader of the Goths from his first pitiless resolution of fixing the ransom of Rome at the price of every possession of value which the city contained. There was a momentary silence now in the great tent. At one extremity of it, congregated in a close and irregular group, stood the wearied and broken-spirited members of the Senate, supported by such of their attendants as had been permitted to follow them. At the other appeared the stately forms of Alaric and the warriors who surrounded him as his council of war. The vacant space in the middle of the tent was strewn with martial weapons, separating the representatives of the two nations one from the other, and thus accidentally, yet palpably, typifying the fierce hostility which had sundered in years past, and was still to sunder for years to come, the people of the north and the people of the south. The Gothic king stood a little in advance of his warriors, leaning on his huge heavy sword. His steady eye wandered from man to man, among the broken-spirited senators contemplating with cold and cruel penetration all that suffering and despair had altered for the worse in their outward appearance. Their soiled robes, their wan cheeks, their trembling limbs, were each marked in turn by the cool sarcastic examination of the conqueror's gaze. Debased and humiliated as they were, there were some among the ambassadors who felt the insult thus silently and deliberately inflicted on them the more keenly for their very helplessness. They moved uneasily in their places, and whispered among each other in low and bitter accents. At last one of their number raised his downcast eyes and broke the silence. The old Roman spirit, which long years of voluntary frivolity and degradation had not yet entirely depraved, flushed his pale, wasted face as he spoke thus. We have entreated, we have offered, we have promised, men can do no more. Deserted by our emperor and crushed by pestilence and famine, nothing is now left to us but to perish in unavailing resistance beneath the walls of Rome. It was in the power of Alaric to win everlasting renown by moderation to the unfortunate of an illustrious nation, but he has preferred to attempt the spoiling of a glorious city and the subjugation of a suffering people, yet let him remember though destruction may sate his vengeance and pillage enrich his hordes, the day of retribution will yet come. There are still soldiers in the empire, and heroes who will lead them confidently to battle, though the bodies of their countrymen lay slaughtered around them in the streets of pillaged Rome. A momentary expression of wrath and indignation appeared on Alaric's features as he listened to this bold speech, but it was almost immediately replaced by a smile of derision. What? Ye still have soldiers before whom the barbarian must tremble for his conquests, he cried. Where are they? Are they on their march, or in ambush, or hiding behind strong walls, or have they lost their way on the road to the Gothic camp? Ha! Here is one of them, he exclaimed, advancing toward an enfeebled and disarmed guard of the Senate, who quailed beneath his fierce glance. 
Fight, man, he loudly continued. Fight while there is yet time for Imperial Rome. Thy sword is gone, take mine, and be a hero again. With a rough laugh echoed by the warriors behind him, he flung his ponderous weapon, as he spoke, toward the wretched object of his sarcasm. The hilt struck heavily against the man's breast. He staggered and fell helpless to the ground. The laugh was redoubled among the Goths, but now their leader did not join in it. His eyes glowed in triumphant scorn, as he pointed to the prostrate Roman, exclaiming, So does the South fall beneath the sword of the North, so shall the Empire bow before the rule of the Goth. Say, as we look on these Romans before us, are we not avenged of our wrongs? They die not fighting on our swords, they live to entreat our pity, as children that are in terror of the whip. He paused. His massive and noble countenance gradually assumed a thoughtful expression. The ambassadors moved forward a few steps, perhaps to make a final entreaty, perhaps to depart in despair, but he signed with his hand in command to them to be silent and remain where they stood. The marauders' thirst for present plunder and the conqueror's lofty ambition of future glory now stirred in strong conflict within him. He walked to the opening of the tent and, thrusting aside its curtain of skins, looked out upon Rome in silence. The dazzling majesty of the temples and palaces of the mighty city as they towered before him, gleaming in the rays of the unclouded sunshine, fixed him long in contemplation. Gradually, dreams of future dominion amongst those unrivaled structures, which now waited but his word to be pillaged and destroyed, filled his aspiring soul and saved the city from his wrath. He turned again toward the ambassadors, with a voice and look superior to them as a being of a higher sphere, and spoke thus, When the Gothic conqueror reigns in Italy, the palaces of her ruler will be found standing for the palaces of his sojourn. I will ordain a lower ransom. I will spare Rome. A murmur arose among the warriors behind him. The rapine and destruction which they had eagerly anticipated was denied them for the first time by their chief. As their muttered remonstrances caught his ear, Alaric instantly and sternly fixed his eyes upon them, and, repeating in accents of deliberate command, I will ordain a lower ransom, I will spare Rome, steadily scanned the countenances of his ferocious followers. Not a word of dissent fell from their lips, not a gesture of impatience appeared in their ranks. They preserved perfect silence, as the king again advanced toward the ambassadors and continued, I fix the ransom of the city at five thousand pounds of gold, at thirty thousand pounds of silver. Here he suddenly ceased, as if pondering further on the terms he should exact. The hearts of the Senate, lightened for a moment by Alaric's unexpected announcement that he would moderate his demands, sank within them again, as they thought on the tribute required of them, and remembered their exhausted treasury. But it was no time now to remonstrate or to delay and they answered with one accord, ignorant though they were of the means of performing their promise, the ransom shall be paid. The king looked at them when they spoke, as if in astonishment that men whom he had just deprived of all freedom of choice ventured still to assert it, by intimating their acceptance of terms which they dared not decline. The mocking spirit revived within him while he thus gazed on the helpless and humiliated embassy, and he laughed once more as he resumed, partly addressing himself to the silent array of the warriors behind him. The gold and silver are but the first dues of the tribute. My army shall be rewarded with more than the wealth of the enemy. You men of Rome have laughed at our rough bearskins and our heavy armor. You shall clothe us with your robes of festivity. 
I will add to the gold and silver of your ransom four thousand garments of silk and three thousand pieces of scarlet cloth. My barbarians shall be barbarians no longer. I will make partitions, epicures, Romans of them. The members of the ill-fated embassy looked up as he paused in mute appeal to the mercy of the triumphant conqueror, but they were not yet to be released from the crushing infliction of his rapacity and scorn. Hold, he cried, I will have more, more still. You are a nation of feasters. We will rival you in your banquets when we have stripped you of your banqueting robes. To the gold, the silver, the silk, and the cloth I will add yet more. Three thousand pounds weight of pepper, your precious merchandise, bought from far countries with your lavish wealth. See that you bring it hither, with the rest of the ransom, to the last grain. The flesh of our beasts shall be seasoned for us like the flesh of yours. He turned abruptly from the senators as he pronounced the last words, and began to speak in jesting tones and in the Gothic language to the council of warriors around him. Some of the ambassadors bowed their heads in silent resignation, others, with the utter thoughtlessness of men bewildered by all that they had seen and heard during the interview that was now closed, unhappily revived the recollection of the broken treaties of former days by mechanically inquiring in the terms of past formularies what security the besiegers would require for the payment of their demands. Security, cried Alaric fiercely, instantly relapsing as they spoke into his sterner mood. Behold yonder the future security of the Goths for the faith of Rome. And flinging aside the curtain of the tent, he pointed proudly to the long lines of his camp, stretching around all that was visible of the walls of the fallen city. End of section 89. This recording is in the public domain. Recorded by E. Winters.